Every once in a while, in any discipline, a breakthrough is made that revolutionizes the fabric of the way we understand things. You have Newton and gravity, Watson, Crick, and Franklin in the structure of DNA, and Bill Walsh with the West Coast offense. <laughs> in the world of statistics, one of the largest breakthroughs in the last century is something called bootstrapping. That's the focus of Stats and Stories, where we explore the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics. I'm John Baylor, chair of Miami University's Statistics Department. Stats and Stories is a production of Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media Journalism and Film, as well as the American Statistical Association. Joining me in the studio is Richard Campbell of Media Journalism and Film. Rosemary Pennington is away today. Our guest is Brad Efren, the creator of the Bootstrap Technique, a veteran statistician and academic, and now one of two people to be awarded the International Prize in Statistics. First, congratulations on being awarded the International Prize in Statistics. Well, thank you very much. Well, you know, the, the natural question to start, Brad, is can you provide a description of what the bootstrap is? Well, yeah, I can. I've, I've asked that often and then ask it again when my description doesn't work. <laughs> uh, uh, the, the bootstrap's a general device uh, for assessing the accuracy of a statistical estimator, uh, familiar from the kinds of plus or minus numbers you see after a political poll. Uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the, the trouble is that political polls are very simple, so you can have a formula that goes back a couple hundred years for the plus or minus. Uh, for um, more complicated statistics, uh, you, you, the formula doesn't exist, and the um, uh, uh, the bootstraps a device uh, for um, uh, uh, using the com computer to get get the plus or minus as if there was a formula. And I could tell you more about how the bootstraps done if you want to hear more. I would um, like to. This is the journalist. So no, at the beginning, the only thing I know about statistics is whatever John tells me. So, okay, so my qu uh, my question so, uh, my question is. How do we know the bootstrap is accurate? Um, well, uh, there's uh, uh, that's a question that's been uh, the subject of more than a thousand uh, uh, theoretical papers. The accuracy is founded on a, on a basic theory. The, the basic theory is really very simple behind it. Uh, but of course, people have done, and I've done, uh, lots and lots of... Uh, uh, cases where you know the answer to see if the bootstraps give you the right answer. And uh, I could tell you more about how, how that all goes, but let, let me just tell you, uh, I'll give you an example. Okay, So uh, right now I, I'm uh, working on a problem from the medical school. Uh, I consult over the medical school. I'm half time in the medical school. And uh, uh, Dr. Liu, uh, young doctor over there, uh, she's uh, got... Uh, uh, she, she works uh, uh, with uh, diagnostics for cancer, and she, she's uh, interested in uh, uh, tongue cancer, and she has uh, 245 slides from uh, mice. Uh, and uh, she has a new method, we'll call it, uh, based on uh, a, a pictorial thing where they take a picture of the tongue mm -hmm. and, and measure uh, frequencies, uh, energies at frequencies, and then... Uh, and she thinks it works really well, but the, the older method uh, involved looking at things like colors and textures. And now mm -hmm. she has two big matrices uh, for each of these 245 uh, mouse tongues. Uh, she has a, uh, 
uh, the method, her new method, and the old standby method. And so we have two huge matrices that uh, relate the two things and, uh, well, the measure the two things. And she wonders uh, uh, what's the relationship. So uh, my, my uh, colleague uh, uh, Neris and I uh, looked at the data a lot and uh, we worked out a complicated method of getting a correlation between the two things. And then the question comes up, uh, what's the accuracy of uh, mm -hmm. that correlation? And now you run some sort of plus or minus, but there's no formula. Mm -hmm. So here's how the bootstrap works. Uh, you, uh, you have these 245 slides. You can imagine putting them in a hat, drawing out one at a time, each time putting one back. So you'll get some repetitions and some misses. And that'll give you, by the time you get 245 of them, you'll get a different correlation using our same method. You can do that as many times as you want. And then the variability of the of, of these made up samples of side 245 are the bootstrap estimate of the variability of the original number. That's what gives you the plus or minus. So I, I know that's a pretty quick description, but the basic idea is um, the computer allows you to resample the original mm -hmm. data lots of times. You could never do that by hand. And uh, and then each time you resample it, you re, you recompute your statistic. You did a bunch of those, and before you know it, you have uh, a measure of how variable your original statistic is. Very very good. I understood. I think most of that actually. Thank, uh, thank so, you. So so if I, if indeed <laughs> I, I I ran a statistical poll and it said sixty percent of the people were Democrats and forty percent were Republicans, you could use that ancient formula to get a plus or minus. Uh, you could also use the bootstrap, putting the hundred numbers in a hat this time, mm -hmm. and you'd get the same answer. Very good. So, so what motivated or led you to the discovery of the bootstrap? Uh, well, uh, this is a lesson in having uh, uh, smart colleagues, amongst other things. Uh, my thesis advisor and then my colleague when I was first here um, at Stanford was Rupert Miller. Mm -hmm. uh, there was an older method uh, called the jackknife, uh, coming out of uh, John Tukey's work, and um, uh, the uh, uh, and Rupert had written a paper about whether the jackknife was dependable, and that started me thinking about the jackknife was a method of getting plus or minuses on the computer, but it, it, it had its limitations. And I, I started working on that. I was at um, Imperial College. Uh, uh, David Cox, the previous uh, winner uh, of the same prize, the first winner of this uh, same prize, uh, suggested to me that it would be a good idea to work more on, on uh, my idea, uh, the relationship, and that's that's what got me going on. Mm -hmm. So, so everyone would lo loves the, the the name of this. I mean, I think it was a, a brilliant name to to come to, to come up with. Ah, so, do so you want to talk a little bit about the background of why did you call it the bootstrap? Ah. So, uh, first of all, where does the name come from? Uh, uh, Bar the, the German story, Baron Munchausen, he's, uh, he has many uh, eccentric adventures, and one of them, he's uh, stuck at the bottom of a lake, and he's drowning, and he, he uh, reaches down and pick up, uh, grabs his own bootstraps and pulls himself out of the lake. <laughs> and so, and so uh, that's, uh, when, you do, when you boot your computer, it's the same route. Ah. Uh, 
And, uh, and if you look at my original paper, um, which was 1979, right at the end, there's a joke about other names I could have chosen. Oh, okay. Um, you got to tell us. What, what are some of the other ones that were candidates? <laughs> uh, well, there was, uh, I, I, I was, if you remember, I was working with, uh, I was working with uh, uh, the jackknife in mind and uh, the, uh, uh, I, and that was Tukey's jackknife, which he said uh, was a general tool uh, for uh, uh, analyzing uh, data in a rough and ready way. And I, my joke was that the, I should have called this the shotgun for blowing the head off of any problem. <laughs> And, uh, oh, uh, and I don't think John ever appreciated the humor in that. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's my only paper that ends with a joke. Yeah. You know, you're, the use of stories, I, I read one place where you talked about, you know, that uh, the numbers only become knowledge when we understand what they mean, you know, that, that you have to be able to explain the data, the numbers. You also have used a metaphor that I just loved. Statistics is about learning from experience, and then you said it, it is a detective game, and I really like that metaphor a lot. I've used that to, to talk about what journalists do, that they're detectives searching for clues often in order to tell the right story. Right. Uh, can you the, the, um, the thing about clues and good detective stories is no one tips you off completely. It's, it's an accumulation of a lot of little clues that get you to the answer. And that, that's the way statistics works. Yeah, you, called it, you called it a slow game. Yeah, yes. it is a yeah. slow game yes. indeed. That's and right. uh, uh, it's not a very natural way for people to think. Uh, most people like that story in which the ha-ha, the smoking gun and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Well, if it was all smoking guns, there wouldn't be any statistics. <laughs> so... So what, what led you to become a statistician? Uh, so uh, this is the usual story where you read the, uh, uh, the child of the famous football player becomes a famous football player, that sort of thing. Uh, my dad, who was a salesman, uh, loved numbers. He was, uh, uh, he worked, um, he was a good athlete. And then after he was an athlete, he was the um, uh, analyst for a baseball uh, analyst. He kept score for baseball leagues and bowling leagues. And so there were always a lot of numbers around ah. my kitchen table. And uh, I, I didn't realize it, but I was being trained to be a statistician. <laughs> um, so, so what do you like best uh, about working as a statistician or about your career as a statistician? Well, the most fun is doing applied statistics. Uh, so Neris and I are having a lot of fun with Dr. Liu's data. I'm not sure Dr. Liu is enjoying this fun as much as we are, uh, but uh, uh, we, we uh, 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 yeah, I just love taking apart a data set and using not fancy stuff, but old fashioned stuff a lot. Uh, you know, I, I was trained by um, Rupert Miller, I mentioned before, Lincoln Moses, Bill Brown, and over there in the biostatistics workshop, most of the things you did were t-tests and student t's and things like that, very simple things but uh, they, uh, uh, they were so good at boiling a problem down to the uh, essence. And what they were particularly told you was you had to look at the data and you really had to see the data. You know, you, you get a bunch of data like this tongue thing, it just looks like a huge pile of numbers. And then you start taking it apart by 
taking combinations or averages or correlations and things like that. And pretty soon uh, you start seeing something, but, but it takes a lot of looking. Uh, and uh, when I do good work in the applied world, it's because I uh, had the energy to do a lot of looking. So we talked before about uh, statistics being a slow game. So as the, as the journalist representative here, I would argue that a lot of journalism is a fast game. So where information and news often has to be developed in a story in one day, could you talk about your experience with journalists and what you see as uh, a problem sometimes? Because what journalists do is, you know, a lot of times what we understand from scientists and statisticians is what the journalists tell us because they're often the ones that tell the story about scientific work or statistical work. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, what journalists do well and, and maybe what they don't do well? Well, I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, uh, scientific journalism. Uh, I, I, so each Tuesday, the New York Times has its science section, and I eagerly read that. Mm -hmm. I, I clip out articles that I think have illustrated one point or another. They're very often articles that I think are uh, uh, way too... Uh, uh, credulous about what they're reporting on, okay. uh, especially things in health. Uh, uh, you know, this new treatment may very well uh, cure Alzheimer's or something like that. Well, uh, it, things that cure a major disease are few and far between. And uh, most of the time, uh, it's uh, uh, the scientists, like anybody else, are trying to put the best face on their results. Uh, so uh, journalists are at the at the mercy of the of the scientists who report the stuff usually mm -hmm. and uh, uh i wish the scientists would be more modest about what they claim <laughs> hey uh, i've had good results uh, good experiences when my own stuff's been quoted all right you're listening to stats and stories where we discuss the statistics behind the stories and the story behind the statistics i'm john baylor with miami university's statistics department and i'm joined by media journalism and films richard campbell Today we're talking about bootstrapping with Stanford University's Brad Efren. Brad, the bootstrap has been cited by over 200,000 articles and 200 journals since 1980. What is the most interesting or even unusual application that you've seen addressed with bootstrapping? Well, <laughs> my favorite is always the last one I was working on. <laughs> that, that's, the, that's the tongue data right now. There's nothing particularly unusual about it. What I liked about it was how just straightforward going about the bootstrap without a, barely thinking uh, of how to use it. Once we had the, the statistic we wanted in mind, uh, gave the answer. Uh, and they're, they're most, yeah, the bootstrap is usually not the star of the show because it's designed, you, you're, you're a working statistician, you've got a problem, you think of a statistic to estimate something you're interested in. And then as a second step, you use the bootstrap or something else to see how accurate your first step was. So the uh, bootstrap is sort of the best supporting actor kind of role. Uh, uh, but a, recently there's been more attempts to use the bootstrap in a primary way. And I, I'm thinking in um, these kind of machine learning uh, techniques, uh, the method called um, uh, random force, for example, directly uses the bootstrap to get the original statistic. 
And so that's different. And so I've been quite interested in that is how the, because I never thought of that when I, when the thing was started. Uh, I was always interested in the secondary uh, question, the plus or minus question. This, this, uh, re this reminds me of a, of another quote I saw of yours where you said one of the charms of statistics is that you can peek into other fields. And that's also reminded me of one of the, my attractions to journalism is what, you know, you get to learn a lot about things that you don't know very much about. Uh, could you talk a little bit about there's, while statisticians are trained specific ways, I mean, one of the things I've always admired about John is he's always involved in with different uh, scholars doing different kinds of work, and he's the statistician on board. Can you talk a little bit about that, the, the joy of peeking into other fields? <laughs> yeah, well, I get a lot of that. I, so, so I've been half-time in the medical school than my entire career, and I know mm. no more about medicine than anybody <laughs> else on the street. Uh, uh, I know a lot about doctors because yeah. <laughs> how, how they uh, uh, work. And I'll tell you, it's fun for a statistician to work with doctors because, first of all, they have a pretty good natural feeling for randomness because mm -hmm. medical things are so, the way humans react to things is so random and noisy. And, uh, and they generate interesting questions, uh, usually. Uh, so, uh, yeah, uh, statisticians, I've worked also some of the time with astronomers and uh, that's been my main other mm -hmm. one occasionally with social scientists and stuff like that. Um, some of my colleagues are much more determined uh, over in the medical school, for example, to become really experts on some uh, particular disease, mm -hmm. maybe mouse tongues. We don't have any of those right now. <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, they become part of the, uh, uh, the basic uh, uh, group. And that's become a model uh, over at the medical school, uh, I'd say more often than not, uh, the uh, the big uh, the big uh, studies have uh, the doctors uh, have incorporate a statistician as the working group, and that's quite different. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, I like the uh, for myself, I've always liked the amateur method of uh, they bring the statistics to me, uh, and uh, I, I ask questions, and then uh, uh, hopefully. Uh, we get somewhere. Uh, my my mentor Lincoln Moses used to talk about having a good data side manner, and, <laughs> and, and uh, he he really did. He could, he was so good at listening, mm -hmm. and so was Rupert Miller. That uh, they 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 the, the thing is that when the doctors come for you, to for, they often uh, hide parts of the story because they think you're not interested in yeah. the little details. Whereas uh, like. They've 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 taken lots of measurements on each thing, but they only bring you the average. Yeah, well, we want the original measurements yeah. and you, stuff like that. So you know, asking the question about what data do you have is a good one. Yeah, you know that's uh, an that's another that's another characteristic you have in common with good journalists. Good jur the best journalists are the good are good listeners. They're looking for the good story. They're paying attention. They're asking follow up questions. So that's another interesting thing. Yeah, that, yeah, uh, journalism uh, really interests me. Uh, they, uh, they, they've gotten better on statistics stories in the last 10 years or so, mm -hmm. probably because there's more of them, yes. more statistics stories. Uh, they, the graphics have gotten much better yes. that they use. Uh, so 
somebody's doing a good job there. <laughs> you know, so you mentioned this this wonderful Lincoln Moses quote about the good data side manner. Do you have a, f a favorite Rupert Miller quote or piece of advice? Well, R Rupert was a man of uh, uh, the clearest thinking I've ever seen. Uh, uh, if I if I was going to teach a class, I just go to Rupert, get his notes, and they were they were just perfect. If if I missed the lecture. Uh, uh, the seminar, I'd go look and there was Rupert and he'd have the notes running down in clear form where you could actually understand the lecture probably better than if you'd been there. Uh, so his, um, Rupert's main uh, uh, thing was uh, uh, clear clear thinking. Uh, he, he was also, uh, I'll tell you one Rupert Miller story, um, when I was first here, he was, uh, Rupert was elected to the Americans as a fellow of the American Statistical Association, and he turned it down on the grounds that uh, these these honors aren't fairly distributed. He said oh. uh, uh, they gave it to him anyway, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, it, I always it made a big impression on me. No. So I, I shouldn't I, maybe I should turn down the IPS. <laughs> no. Thing. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I don't have uh, that kind of grace. He did. Uh. So I'm I'm a little bit interested in your in first of all you've complimented journalism here but you also have dabbled in this and I I was wondering your sort of attraction to to stories I mean back in Stanford where you were the editor of the oh. what, what I call the equivalent of the the Harvard Lampoon at Stanford you got in some Wait. trouble but somehow you must have had some kind of editing and writing experience to be able to do that job as, I think you were a grad student at the time, right? Well, I, I, at Caltech, where I was an undergrad, I wrote a weekly column ah. in, the, uh, in the paper called The Fifth Column, here the fifth one over. And uh, it was humorous, or tried to be humorous in a uh, sophomoric way. So where did that interest come from? You talked about your father before and the numbers being around the house, but I, I would say present company not included, most statisticians are not known for having good writing ability. So where does that come from? Well, uh, first of all, let me defend most statisticians. <laughs> I, I, all right. I've been, I've been yes. a dean, and I'll tell you, the statisticians have better sense of humor than most scientists because <laughs> uh, they have to, because they uh, they get to deal with most scientists. Mm -hmm. uh, the uh, I, I have no idea, but I, I've always loved uh, humor writing. I, mm -hmm. I, I love reading humor. And uh, there is just isn't enough of it in the world. And uh, uh, I, uh, the, the, the main trouble, I, main trouble with the statistics literature is it's, uh, is it's so technical and, and uh, difficult to read. Yes. And putting in a little humor, uh, just something uh, mm -hmm. that uh, breaks the mood for a second mm -hmm. is, is a really good idea. Uh, just, the, just a few terms of language. It doesn't have to be uh, belly laughs. Just, a, just a, a unusual use of lang language. Yes. Uh, maybe a, just a word that you don't or ordinarily see mm -hmm. uh, 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 can really help things along. I, I was the editor. I was the founding editor of the Annals of Applied Statistics, and I'd hoped to make the journal more fun to read mm -hmm. than uh, uh, most high-level journals. And I didn't succeed at all um, because as soon as the editor, I was the chief editor, but I had editors and associate editors and referees, and they just enforced that that same kind of writing. Yeah. 
That's a, that's a real, that's a huge challenge. I mean, it, it, I, I, I was thinking back on, on things like, was it, was it Box um, that, that talked about uh, preceding a test of means with a test of variances, like sending out a, a rowboat to see if the waters were calm enough for an ocean liner to sail? <laughs> That's very clever. I never heard that. George George was very good. He doesn't fall into the dull dull writing category. Yeah, that's that's one that that, that always tickled me because I just such a a wonderful image and it's a it's a great idea to think about sensitivity in a way that that's that doesn't feel feel sort of boring and plain. And I I like that. Um, well, when you think about how how data analysis and research is reported, is there particular aspects when you see it done in ways that drive you crazy that, that you know are there certain things that you you know you, you just recognize and go gosh I wish they wouldn't do it that way but they often do well yeah uh, <laughs> I, I really uh, they, they a lot of stories about statistics and statisticians used to call the people mathematicians uh -huh. and now they call them computer scientists mm -hmm. and I wish they just call them statisticians because uh, 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 we exist too <laughs> um, you think the, we have um, a brand problem? Yeah, yes, we do have a brand problem. And uh, uh, the uh, uh, when I, uh, Trevor Hasty and I just wrote a book published mm -hmm. a couple years ago on computer age statistical inference, mm. and they really were determined to put in a subtitle uh, that said data science in it. So we put uh, in a thing that said data science. Uh, well, I don't mind the term data science, but. Uh, I, I love the, the term statistics is 200 years old, and in the, in the, in the least yeah. in the current way it's thought of is at least 100 years old. So it's 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 as least as worth saving as say the word astrophysics or something. But that's a small break. <laughs> you know, you um, I've also heard you talk about. You know, we're living in these kind of uncertain times and uh you know i think both for journalists and science and statistician the sort of uh questioning of science and data um you know the sort of fake news conundrum i can i consider your work at at the stanford uh chaparral uh, that was real fake news back in those days <laughs> that was supposed to be fake yeah, news. That's people, right. people took it seriously that was the trouble that's how i got into such trouble <laughs> that's right but i you had a nice quote i saw in um, in one of your presentations where you talk about politics undercutting scientific facts could you talk a little bit more about that and and uh, if there's anything we might be able to do uh especially in a world that as you talk about, it's a slow game, and we live in a world that's moving so fast that we seem not to have the patience for the slow game. Well, you can't have a better example than climate change, yes, uh, which uh, is a very slow game. And I'll, I must admit, uh, for the first 10 years, I didn't believe it. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought it was sort of hype. I didn't think it was fake. I thought it was set, stated excessively. Mm -hmm. uh, but by God, it's turned out to be worse than even the hypers thought. Yes. And uh, it, I, I have a feeling that, uh, you know, politics can go along for a long time until something re real intrudes, mm -hmm. like uh, Hurricane Katrina yes. or something like that. And then uh, there's a bracing moment when people face up to what's, uh, uh, what's really at stake. 
And that's when we should be ready, we being the scientists in the mm -hmm. world in particular and the statisticians, to make our case honestly and not with hype. Mm -hmm. So let me ask you, what advice would you give to students and others preparing to work in a data-rich world? Ah, well, I have a lot of them. I, I run a applied math major here at Stanford, and I'm asked that question by people who want to know what to do. <laughs> and uh, 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 the advice I usually give, which is intended for people who have some kind of data math computing interests, is uh, to learn some statistical inference, not just go for the computer stuff. Hmm. Um, the computer stuff is like eating sugar and stuff for people. You know, it, it gives you a high and, uh, and it's wonderful stuff. But there's a reason underneath it, there's a reason why something A is done and B is not. And, uh, and, and it, the uh, learning anything about inference is much harder than uh, uh, mastering the latest computer program or computer package. So that's my advice is uh, learn something about the basics of frequentist, Bayesian, Fisherian inference. Uh, 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 particularly learn something about parametric models, uh, which are fading out of uh, uh, the data science kind of uh, uh, curriculum. Uh, everybody does what, uh, what we would call non-parametric statistics. All right. Well, Brad, thank you so much for being here today. That's, that's all we have time for today. Well, I enjoyed it. Well, us too. We did too. Well, thanks again. So Stats and Stories is a partnership between Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media Journalism and Film and the American Statistical Association. You can follow us on Twitter or iTunes. If you'd like to share your thoughts on the program, send your email to statsandstories at miamioh.edu. And be sure to listen for future editions of Stats and Stories when we discuss the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics.